And I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. The Gospel of John, chapter 13. John is, um, the Gospel of John, that is, is the third book, a fourth gospel. Excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself here. The fourth gospel um, in the New Testament. So if you need some help finding that, please feel free to use the table of contents. And I'd uh, love for you to have a Bible of your own. You can uh, mark up and navigate. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And as you saw from the video earlier, the series we're, we're doing is, is election infection. How to avoid the election infection. And I hope, uh, certainly, um, uh, regardless of your political affiliation, hope that you would join me and many others in praying for our current president uh, and his health condition. Um, and again, uh, the, the whole idea of this series is that you might disagree with people politically, but the call upon every Christian is to love unconditionally. We're going to disagree politically. Uh, that, that would just be foolish to try to expect Christians and people to agree completely politically because there are so many different things that we have to think through. But the call is clear upon every believer that we are to love people unconditionally. So that's kind of what we talked about last week. And, uh, and so we were kind of asking ourselves and challenging ourselves to make sure you put your faith filter ahead of your political filter. You put your faith first. You are a Christian first, and then you are a Republican second. You are a Christian first, and then you are a Democrat second. You are a Christian first and an independent second. You are a libertarian first and a Christian. Uh, excuse me. See? Were y'all paying attention? Did y'all catch that? Some of y'all were sleepy already. I know it's raining out, and uh, I was just making sure y'all were paying attention. You're a Christian first and then a libertarian second. So that's, that's what we've been wrestling with, uh, evaluating your politics through the lens of our faith first. Or we even said it this way, we're, we're going to challenge all of us uh, and saying, are you willing to follow Jesus? Listen to me, are you willing to follow Jesus even when following Jesus may create space between you and your political party? Or like the shirt says, are you willing to follow Jesus above all else? I want to give a shout out to my friend Greg Bowden who made this. And um, hopefully we'll have it's a good reminder for this season, right? It is Jesus above all else. And um, and that is what we are challenging ourselves with. Now, you might want to say, why is this important? Why is this so important? I think you already know why this is important, right? Because nobody, first of all, right? When people die, no one goes to Washington, D.C. when they die. In fact, you are thankful. You don't you, you might be saying oh, if, if that was hell then I would, I would for sure become a Christian. No one goes to Washington, D.C. when they die. That's why this is so important. Uh, but there's something inside of each and every one of us that we all know, right, that, that while these issues are important, we know that there are things that can happen in your life at a moment's notice that would make your political affiliation completely irrelevant, right? As a pastor, I sit by so many people at their bedsides and hospitals and walking through the various issues of life. And no one at their deathbed has once called me over and said, Pastor, Pastor, please. I just, before I go, could you just read the Constitution to me? Right? They, they haven't said that. They haven't said, Pastor, these are my final days. Can you read the Republican national platform to me? It just doesn't happen, right? Um, can you read to me the 
democratic. That, that doesn't happen because we know there are things that are bigger in our life. Again, this is important, and you may get amped up, and, and there are certainly outworkings of our Christian faith that affect the political sphere. And so through this whole thing, we're not saying don't have an opinion. We're not at all saying don't vote. You should vote. We're not saying don't get involved. We're not saying don't speak up. We're saying make sure first you've put your faith filter first. You put that ahead of your politics. You should have an opinion. And I know some of us, the guys, right, we love to yell at the TV, right? Some of you got to mute the TV and interpret it for the rest of your family, right? Some of y'all are like that. Or is that just sports that we do it with? I know I do it, you know, kind of with both of them, you know, but it's like hit the mute button and it's like, well, see, they should have said this. This is ridiculous, you know, and uh, we're yelling at the TV, not just with sports, but with these things as well. But we're talking about, listen, putting our faith. Don't point at the people next to you. I saw some of y'all do that. And uh, that was love. That was love. Putting our faith filter ahead of our political filter. I'm not suggesting that we all agree. That would be foolish to think that we would all agree. But here's where the rub kind of comes in. You're thinking, and we said this last week, you're thinking, mm-hmm, pastor, I know somebody who needs to hear this message. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, because they, they need to get their priorities straight. And, and see, all of us think we're fine. And in fact, many of you would say, listen, no, no, pastor, the reason, the reason I'm a Republican is because I put my faith first. And then there would be other people on the other side who would say, listen, no, no, no. The reason I'm a Democrat is, is because I put my faith first. Or there'll be other people who say the reason I'm an independent is because I put my, my – there is no difference between my faith and my politics. They are just like locked in step. And, and we all tend to think that about ourselves. It's, it's easy to see other people's uh, you know, misconceptions and to think we've got it all figured out. And so, right, if people wanted to, you know, me uh, to preach a sermon on uh, can you support, um, you know, the Republicans from the Bible, you could probably find some Bible verses to do that. Uh, could you support uh, Democrats or Libertarians or Independents from the Bible? People will twist and use the Bible for anything they want. I heard a pastor say this. It was a little quote, right? Um, uh, Andy Stanley said this uh, about Jesus, right? Because we love, everybody wants a piece of Jesus. And everybody wants to get Jesus to agree with them. And so he said this little quote. He said, uh, he's so red. He's so blue. It's amazing how often he agrees with you. And we love to make Jesus agree with us instead of recognizing that Jesus is the Son of God who commands all authority on heaven and earth. And every one of us will bow before his great name and must bow before his great name in full submission to him and saying, listen, Lord, we don't know all this stuff, and God, we are fully surrendered to you. And I'm willing to follow Jesus if that creates space between me and my political party. And so he's so red. He's so blue. It's amazing how often he agrees with you. No. See, we don't want Jesus to agree with us. We want to be people who are reversing that, saying, Jesus, I agree with your ways. And so if you're a Republican, and, and we said we're going to offend everybody throughout this time. If you're a Republican, you're going to say, listen, Pastor, it is clear. Listen. God is always right. He's on the right. He's always right. He never does anything wrong. And so it is clear that we are on the right. God is on the right. He always does what is right. It's clear. In fact, in the Bible, there is this parable in Matthew 25. And, and he's, it's at the end of the age where he's separating out what are called the sheep and the goats. And the sheep are going to be the ones that are going to go to heaven. And the goats are going to be the ones that go to hell. And here's what it says in Matthew 25, 33. It says, and he will place the sheep on his what? 
Right? You're like, it's right there in the Bible, Pastor. The sheep are on the right. It's clear. And oh, the goats. The goats are the ones who are not part of the believers. They're on the left. So, Pastor, it is clear. Republicans are God's party. You might even say, listen, when Jesus called the disciples, Jesus called the disciples together in Matthew chapter 10. And he called them, right, Matthew chapter 10, uh, Philip and Bartholomew and Thomas. And then it says, Matthew the what? The publican. It's right there in the text, Pastor. It just missing two letters there, Republican. But, you know, it's no big deal. James, the son of Alphaeus, and all that sort of stuff, right? And he would say, it's right there. And the Democrats are going, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, Pastor? Jesus was a health care dispensing machine. Everywhere he went, he dispensed free health care. Healed this person, healed that person. Lines of people, people gathering from all around. He gave out health care every single day. There were lines of people, and Jesus never turned anybody away. Jesus fed people. Jesus was all about people's needs, and so he's feeding people. He fed 5,000, he fed 3,000, and oh my goodness, Jesus is certainly on the left, and he's got a Democrat. And, and, and he certainly, I mean, you know, I, I read the Bible one time, uh, you know, and, and Jesus has something against rich people. And, you know, rich people aren't going to make it into heaven because they'll poke themselves with a camel or a needle or something like that. And, um, you know, and, and then, if that's not enough, one time when Jesus fed the 5,000, um, in fact, we'll put this on the screen in Matthew 15, it says this, when he, when he fed the 5,000 for free, they ate and were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left. See, those baskets were on the left. They were left over. Pastor, it's right in the text. If you just had eyes to see it, you would see that God is on the left. Right? We love to just twist God's word. Now the libertarians are going, all of y'all are crazy. All of y'all are crazy. Really? Both of y'all are wrong. And the most famous verse in the Bible is probably John 3, 16, right? But the other second most famous verse that probably all of you could quote is this. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you Free as in liberty, libertarian. It's right there in the text. See how we love to use the text to support whatever we think is right? It's amazing how often he agrees with me instead of vice versa. In fact, uh, you might want to recall the scripture the libertarian would say, hey, you remember that Bible passage where there was a rich, young ruler who came up to Jesus and he wanted to know how to get in heaven and Jesus turned away the rich, young ruler and he went away sad. So obviously that tells us how Jesus feels about rules and rich people and all that sort of stuff. And so, um, and then in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, the apostle Paul writing to the church said this. He said, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and mind your own business. Mind your own business and work with your hands. So mind your own business personally, mind your own business nationally, mind your own business internationally. See, God is clearly a libertarian. See, we could go on. And if we were to go to other countries where Democrat and Republican libertarian mean nothing to those people there in Nigeria or in Afghanistan or in you know Mexico or Costa Rica or a hundred other nations, all of their people would do the same things. And it's been done for years. People hijack Jesus and try to make Jesus fit their mold instead of following lockstep with who Jesus is and surrendering to him as the Lord of their lives. And so it's not enough. Listen to me now. It's not enough for us to go, hey, listen, the Bible first and politics second, because people will tend to twist the Bible to make it fit their perspective. They can always find a verse that supports. So it's not enough just to say, hey, just put the Bible ahead of 
your politics. It's not enough to even say Jesus before my politics. Because people have hijacked Jesus. Well, if it's not simple as put the Bible ahead of politics and put Jesus ahead of politics, well, what do we need to do, Pastor? I'm glad you asked that question. That was the question I was going to answer today. So it just works perfectly that you asked that question and I planned on answering it. What we must do is this. We must not just, you know, uh, say that Jesus is first or say that the Bible is first in order to get this right. And church, we must get this right, okay? We have to do what Jesus did. We have to be obedient to the scriptures. In fact, the, the Bible says, you know, blessed are, are those who not just hear the word, but those who are doers of the word. Jesus talked about the man who built his life on the rock and then another man who built his life um, uh, on, the, on the sand, on a shifting foundation. The rain came and it washed away that foundation. And he said, who are the people that build their life on the rock? And who are the people that build their life on the sand? The people that build their rock, build their life on the rock are the people who do the word of God. And so it's simple. It's complex. It's hard, but it's simple. And so this is the main point for today as we get ready to jump into the text is this. In order for us to get this right, we must put people ahead of politics because that's what Jesus did. Last week, we were praying for unity. And I hope you were praying for unity last week. Uh, this week, though, we, we want to make concerted efforts to make sure we're putting people ahead of our politics. And church, we must get this right as we saw it last week. We must get this right because this was the, the prayer request of Jesus. We saw him before he's heading to the cross. He was praying for our unity. And now we're going to see in a, in a similar passage that we must get this right. And we're going to see that, listen, we, we have got to uh, navigate this. And we've got to put people ahead of our politics. And so let me tell you the context here of John chapter 13 real quick. Jesus, uh, as we saw last week in John 17, he is getting ready to go to the cross. He is celebrating the Passover supper with his disciples before he goes to the cross. These are the last hours of Jesus's life. And so certainly what Jesus has to say, and what Jesus does, and what he prays are very detailed, are very specific as he navigates these waning few hours of his life. And what's just happened is he has washed the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. You may remember that passage if you're familiar with the Bible. Um, they're getting ready to serve the Passover and, and uh, supper. And, and in no one, uh, which would typically be the job of a servant or a slave, they would come in and wash the dusty, nasty, dirty feet because all they had in those days were sandals. Um, and, uh, and they didn't have nice paved streets or nice lush grass. And so their feet were nasty. Like my kids' feet are often nasty because for some reason my kids think that shoes are just optional for life. And uh, they love to run around the neighborhood and the house and outside and the mud and everyplace else with some dirty feet. And, and we have to sometimes say, with a scrub brush and, and with a washcloth, wash off those nasty feet. And so that was the job for the servant. And nobody did that because the disciples were all too important. And Jesus, the Bible says, took off his robe, put on a towel and began to wash their feet. And he served them. He served those disciples. And he said, I want you to now go and do likewise. And so he's getting ready to say what we're about to read here in a second. This is the context. Also, the context is Judas is about to betray Jesus. And Jesus has known this all along. So just imagine how Jesus feels. He is about to go to the cross and he knows that one of his disciples who he just washed his feet, who he has been pouring into, who he has been 
loving and trusting is going to go and betray Jesus. And I don't know about you, but but if I were Jesus and I knew that Judas was a liar the whole time, I might break a couple little toes when I'm rubbing those feet. You know what I mean? I might just be tempted to just to pull one up a little bit. And, you know, have fun walking to the Pharisees now with a broken toe. You know, just a little slight, you know, just so that nobody can see it. Just underneath, just washing, just washing. And, that's how I would treat them. Or I might say something, you know, out of anger because I know that, that Judas is about to betray me. And yet Jesus doesn't treat any of his disciples like that. He knows, uh, in fact, what's going to happen right after this is that Peter's going to be like, Lord, because Jesus is going to say, I'm, I'm going to a place you can't come. I'm going to die. And Peter's going to be like, no, Lord, we're going to with you. I'll never deny you. And he has to say to Peter, no, you're going to deny me three times. But he didn't treat Peter any differently. These are his disciples, but yet there are people who have burned him. There are people who are really against him. And all the disciples would end up deserting Jesus. And let's see what he says. And so uh, you hopefully have had some time there to turn to John chapter 13. And we're going to pick it up in verse 31. So we'll begin reading in verse 31. Just a few short verses. And let's see what Jesus says in the context of this Last Supper after he's washed the disciples' feet. He says, when he had gone out, that's Judas who just went out to betray him. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. And again, what glorified God most was the cross. Then it says this, and God is glorified in him. God is glorified through the obedience of Jesus to go take the cross on behalf of sinners. That's what glorifies God. Then it says this, verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And then he says this, little children, look at the words of Jesus, little children, yet a little while I am with you. And you will seek me, just as I had said to the Jews. So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus, again, is getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to uh, be crucified and placed in a tomb. And he's saying, guys, and I'm, I'm going to go back to the Father. And, and right now, you've got a job on earth to do. And then he says this, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment that I give to you. That you love one another just as what? I have loved you. Oh my goodness. This is the word of God here. That you are to love one another as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Then he goes on, and the last verse says this, By this, by this, by this, all people, by what? By the fact that we love one another with a sacrificial love, all people will know that you are my what? My disciples, if you have love one for another. Let's pray and ask God to bless his word in our time together. Father, thank you for your word. God, it pierces to the soul. And I ask that you'd help me, God, a feeble, <laughs> sinful man, communicate the beauty of the gospel that changes lives and hearts in ways that, that none of us as humans ever could. But the cross, 
where you draw all people unto yourself, God. The beauty of the sacrificial love of Jesus, that you would die for those who are your enemies. You would die for those who betrayed you. You would die for those who denied you. You would die for every single person underneath the sound of my voice, God, knowing every single person's name, knowing every single person's story. Father, you would die for every one of them, God. Father, help us to be obedient. And Jesus, help us to love like you have loved. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, put amen in the chat, those of you who are watching online. And um, our folks here said, amen. I want to just go back one verse there, uh, Brother Mike, and, um, and talk about this new commandment. A new commandment. Because the command to love your neighbor as yourself was not really a new commandment. That was in the Old Testament. The Jews were familiar with that. Uh, it was in the book of Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. And see, we can kind of get by with loving our neighbor as ourself, right? Because you could be, my, love, my neighbor don't love me very well. They play their music at 3 a.m. And so I'm going to get back at them. Mm-hmm. Put a screaming baby in their living room at 2 a.m. and see how they like it. My neighbor parks right here and, and blocks my driveway. You know, And so we, we have all these ways that we can kind of get around loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, right? And, um, and, and we can kind of squeak by. We, there's like loopholes, right? And we as humans love loopholes, don't we? I mean, you know, look, look at our political system. Any loophole we can get, you know, any, any little thing in there, we will take it in a heartbeat. But when Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another just as I have loved you, man, that puts a hard stop on any loophole. Because how did Christ love every one of us? With a sacrificial I lay down my life for these people. Boy, that is an unbelievable kind of love. How did Jesus love us? By dying ultimately for the cross, by sacrificing. Listen to me now. Here's the phrase for you. Sacrificing his agenda for our good. Sacrificing his desires for the glory of God. And again, this whole passage is just inundated with the glory of God language that that was the, the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose was, was, was not just you and me because we are not the center of the universe. Did you hear me? I love you. We are not the center of the universe. And so sometimes even in our talking about the cross and Jesus coming to die for us, we put us at the center so that Jesus came for us. Jesus came first to glorify God. And you see that clearly in these first couple of verses. It is about the glory of God and God is glorified through the redeeming of his people who have rebelled against him. And, and, and God is glorified as completely just because he's not going to let sin go unpunished. And God is glorified as completely kind and merciful because forgiveness is offered. But in order for justice to be dealt, someone had to pay the price. And who paid that price? Jesus paid the price for something he did not do. He paid it for you and he paid it for me and every single person on the planet. This is the kind of sacrificial love. It required obedience on the part of Jesus. Jesus at any point could have said, forget them. I don't need to put myself through this. But he did it for us. This is the way we put people ahead of politics. Because people are what Jesus put ahead. And, and, and loving them as Christ has is important. And so we have to understand this. And so pastor and author Sam Storms wrote this when he talked about the newness of this command, right? This new command. He says, clearly the newness of this command to love isn't the command itself, like I said, 
Instead, it is the pattern or the standard or the model of our love for one another. It is the way in which we are to love that is different due to the coming of Jesus Christ. Never before in human history, in the history of mankind, had God appeared in human flesh and demonstrated his love for a sinful, broken, and rebellious humanity. And he did it by sacrificing himself on a cross so that we might live with God forever. Love may well have been required before the coming of Christ, but love, listen to me now, to the degree and the same fashion as it was seen in the self-sacrifice of Jesus for his church is altogether new. Quite simply, it changed the word love forever. It changed loving forever. So Jesus loved us. There are a billion ways we could think of Jesus and his sacrificial love. I don't know if you read the Daily Bread. I hope you use the Daily Bread if, if you're here physically and uh, haven't got one. You could grab one on your way out. They're so helpful. Uh, just a small little devotional book. And if you're watching online, I encourage you to you can pull it up online. But uh, yesterday, it was a cute little uh, verse about a husband and a wife and, and the husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church. And the wife was telling the story about um, my husband woke up early and I heard him kind of banging around. And she was like, well, that's unusual for him to get up early and start banging around. I wonder what the deal is. And, uh, and she said, oh, now I remember why he's up early. Uh, because the day before we had an intruder in our house. So my husband was getting up to protect me from this intruder. She said, what kind of intruder, you may ask? She said, what happened to be a six-legged intruder um, that some of us may call bugs or insects. And, uh, and this husband had got up before she got up to make sure there were no bugs out on the, the counter or the kitchen or wherever she was going uh, before her. And she said, he sacrificed his agenda. He sacrificed his desires for me. And, um, and that's a great, just small, simple example of how we love others as Christ is loved. Now, I just got to confess to you, as a husband, I kind of had to be convicted because I got to up my husband's game um, because I have not gone out to rescue or to get rid of the intruders that are in my house because there are many intruders in my house in the form of little bugs and um, and I've just kind of thrown my hands up in defeat because bugs outnumber humans by the billions and I'm like look babe I just can't stop them from coming in they come in every hole you can conk it you can put down stuff they just they keep coming and so I just surrendered I'm like it's a bug's world I mean we just live in it and so um you know, so, but after I read this, I was like, man, I really got to up my bug game because I'm just like, you just, you just got to learn to live with them. But I have not sacrificed my comfort and my agenda for my wife. And so I love you, babe. I'm going to do better at getting the bugs out. And um, I'm trying. But these are just small examples of this sacrificial love for others. And, and so now you might be asking, man, how can I do that? Pastor, you don't know my family member. You, you don't know my neighbor. You don't know this. And listen, families are torn apart. I talked about this last week. I even saw something this week that, that after the debates, uh, if you can call it a debate that, that happened after the argument and whatever uh, that was, um, some, some guy had wrote to his mother and, and he said this, right? And, and this is the kind of problems we're talking about that we're dealing with in so many families. He said, after that, if you still vote for Trump, mom, I'm not coming to see you for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Listen to me. These are real statements that, that people are saying because of, of how people vote. And it's happened on reverse sides. And so it's not just a younger side. It's an older side. It's everybody that's in between. And, uh, but these are the kind of statements that are, are tearing 
families apart because people are putting their eternal, eternal investment into this arena of politics and forgetting about the gospel, forgetting about eternity and, and Jesus Christ in the midst of this craziness. And what a horrific thing to say to somebody that if they vote, you're not going to this way, you're not going to come see that, see them or that sort of stuff. And I thought, this is heartbreaking. And so, but listen, I also know that I've been in some of those family gatherings, right? Where you're thinking, Pastor, you couldn't pay me to go be with them because it's going to start and I'm just going to have to walk out, right? And um, you, it's going to get ugly. But I want to call to mind the sacrificial love of Jesus that he put forward and to figure out what are the ways we can sacrifice for those, what are the ways we can put people ahead of politics. And if you're struggling with, I don't know that I can do this. Well, let me just encourage you. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. In fact, the rest of this text is talking about the Holy Spirit who would come to help them. Because listen to me now, the disciples were like, Jesus, wait a second, you're going to leave us? You're going to leave us here? What are we going to do? What are we going to do without you? And he says, I'm going to send you something better to live with you, to live inside of your heart day in and day out. It's called the comforter. It's called the helper, the Holy Spirit. He is going to come live inside of you. And so, listen, as Christians, each of us has the power of Christ, the same power of Christ inside of us to love those around you in an unconditional way, in a self-sacrificing way that sacrifices your agenda, that sacrifices your desires and puts the needs of them ahead. In fact, uh, again, pastor and author Sam Storms said it this way. He said, in other words, when we love as Christ loved, we don't simply just copy or imitate his love. We participate in it, right? If we try to love people in our own strength, listen, I'm going to run out of gas real quick. And so are you. You need the power of Christ in you. And so the more you see God, in fact, the rest of this text later on when he goes into John 15 is, is a text we look at every New Year's. Abide in me as I abide in you. Listen, if you're going to have any hope of loving people that are different than you, loving people of different political persuasions, loving your family, loving your neighbor, you need to be abiding in Christ. You need his power inside of you because you can't do it in your own strength. I can't do it in my own strength. Amen. But the more you abide, the more you see Christ, the more power you will have. So he goes on to say it's not just copying or imitating his love. We participate in his love. His love is in us. And then through us, on behalf of others, our love, our loving others is more than a mere simulation of the love of Christ. It is the manifestation of the very presence and love of Christ. Or to put it another way, loving others as Jesus loved us is not simply about following his example, but it's about experiencing his energy in me. Experiencing the energy and the power of Christ as I step forth and begin to love other people. I love what happened just a little later in the text in John 14. We'll put this on the screen. In John 14, uh, just a, a few verses later, it says this, Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Because he was saying, listen, I'm going up. I'm going up to, to, to the Father. And the disciples were like, wait, wait, wait. The world needs you. The world needs you. How, how is it that you're going to make, how are you, you going to show yourself to us and not to the rest of the world, Jesus? The disciples are dumbfounded, right? What is Jesus going to say? Notice what he says. Jesus answered them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Watch that. If anyone, if anyone, if who? If anyone, boy, girl, man, woman, no matter your age, your political affiliation, your gender, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home where? With him. We will make our home. Christ 
will dwell in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. How is the world going to know? That was Judas's question, the other Judas, the good Judas, right? How is the, Jesus, you're going up to heaven. How is the world going to know about you? And Jesus says, you're it, bro. You, because I'm going to dwell in you through and, and the where you're going to walk. You're going to be the physical presence of Christ. Your words, your Facebook, your tweets, your work ethic, your mouth, you're, you're going to be the physical presence of Christ. The Father will come and he will live in him. Then he says this, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Then he says this, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the helper, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. In other words, we get the Holy Spirit in us. That's how we are able to love people as Christ has loved us because we have the same spirit in us. So listen, if what's coming out of you on a weekly basis is not looking like Christ, then you know what you need to do? You need to fall on your knees like I have time and time again and ask God for forgiveness and say, God, I need more of you. Because before I go back out there, because every time I go back out there, I start acting like the world. I start speaking like the world. I start getting filled with anger and rage, and that is not the fruit of your spirit, God. I need to just pull away from that, and I need to spend more time on my face with you. I need to get more of my mind saturated with the word of God, more of my heart filled up with the love of Christ, so I can go back out there and be your representative. And so would you do that? So we're learning how to put people ahead of our politics. Imagine, imagine if every single person put this simple idea into practice, putting people ahead of our politics. Loving people as Christ has loved us. Imagine if every single person in our nation did that. Just think about that for a second. Every single person at your school, in your neighborhood, at your job, put into practice a simple verse of loving others as Christ has loved them. It wouldn't even matter who's in the White House. Our society would be changed so drastically. It wouldn't even matter what the laws are. We can leave the laws on the book, but the interactions between people day in and day out, the crime... The, the issues left, right, center wouldn't even matter because we're fulfilling the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us to love as he has loved. Imagine how our neighborhood would look different. Imagine how your family would look different if every single person did that. It would be a game changer, wouldn't it? And so as we do this, your challenge for this week is, is to put people ahead of your politics. Again. Let me give you a recap. Let me give you four things that you could write down, right, uh, so you make sure you don't misunderstand. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Have an opinion. Am I saying you should have an opinion? Yes, have an opinion. Keep your opinion. Continue to have your opinion. I'm not saying don't have an opinion on any of these issues. These are important issues. And, again, we need Christians continually speaking out in the political sphere for the truth of God. Have an opinion. Listen, argue your point. Yes, sure, argue your point. I'm not saying don't do that. But number three, this is where it gets difficult. Make your point. Make your point at the expense of influence. No. No, sacrifice at that point. Sacrifice your agenda. Because our job as Christians is to influence neighbors and friends and co coworkers for the love of Christ. And listen, if we, leave, if we lose our influence over a, 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 an earthly thing, man, we, we've lost We've lost the picture of eternity. 
right? If we lose our influence for the glory of Christ over an earthly issue, that listen, listen, your your politics may change, right? Some of you know this, right? Your politics have changed over the last 10 years. You probably felt so strongly about something 10, 15 years ago that now you're probably like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Or there wasn't even something 10, 15 years ago that you thought about, and now you feel very strong about it. And, and these are things that are going to pass by the wayside. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of God stands forever, and people live forever. Only two eternal things in this world. Republicans and Democrats are going to be long gone. We have an oh-so-short history as a nation, and the Republicans and Democrats have both gotten it wrong. And like I said last week, uh, some, some of our political parties have closed up shop and went home, right? And, and so, listen, do not lose influence. Never, never lose influence over something human-wise, over something earthly. And don't give it up unnecessarily. Are you saying, Pastor, I can't ever make a point about this? No, continue to do it. Just make sure you're not giving up influence. And, and here's the beautiful thing. This is the USA, and, and I love the USA, and I'm so grateful that I live in the USA, that I'm a citizen of this country, and I hope you're grateful for that. And here's the beautiful thing. Your opinion, can I just tell you this? Your opinion, guess what? It doesn't count. It doesn't count for anything. No one in November is going to count your opinion. So you know what you can do with your opinion? When it comes to losing influence, you can take your opinion and just stuff it right here. It's better than that in America. Because you know what does count in America? Your vote. You can still go vote your conscience, vote your values, and, and listen, that won't stop. And you can please do that. But your opinion at the, at the cost of influence, you have got to weigh that. Because listen, your coworker, your neighbor, your son, your daughter, your grandchild, your mother, your father, your great-grandmother, they're going to need to know about Christ at some point. And if you have burned that bridge, if, if, if you have lost the influence, that coworker is going to be afraid to come to you. When, when they, they know you're a Christian and you got into some big explosive argument over this and over that, you posted this thing online or you said this or you said something like that, that person I, I read to you earlier, I'm not coming to see you at Thanksgiving if you vote this way. And, and they're going to need to know about Christ. This is how the world knows that you are my disciples. And so don't jeopardize, and that's the fourth thing, don't jeopardize a relationship over this. That's a no. Because the person, again, next door in the next cube or whatever. And so continue to put people ahead of your politics. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask that you uh, grab, uh, if you are a believer, the juice and the wafer. I'm going to have to grab one as well because I forgot mine. And as we get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're going to take it together. And so I'm just going to ask that you hold it for a second. And for those who are participating at home, uh, if you'll just hold on for a second, I want us to have just a moment of prayer uh, with the, the bread and the juice here and ask that you would uh, just hold on to it. I know it can be a little difficult to open, and so that's why we're going to pray first so that you can pray over it before you open it because um, you're going to need the patience of Christ to get it right. And, uh, and so let's bow together for a word of prayer, and, uh, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you for the body of Christ. And I, I just want to say, Lord, to you, God, how deeply we need you. In this crazy season, Lord, we're trying not to be infected with the things of this world, God, because the things of this world are so often the opposite of you. But Father, as we come to your table, 
as we come to the invitation, God. And what a reminder of the sacrifice of Christ. What a reminder of the death of Christ, of your love for us, than to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So, Father, for those at home, those watching at a different time, for those right here in this room, God, we ask that you'd still our hearts, that before we take the body and the, the blood of Christ, that we would have a little conversation with you. And I just want to ask you to have a conversation with God. Because the Bible says very clearly that the Lord's Supper is a serious time and that we are not to partake of the body and the blood of Christ without doing an account of our lives, without asking for forgiveness, without searching our hearts. So I want to give you a few moments of quietness to do that at home, in your seat. Ask the Lord to reveal to you where you have sinned against and ask the Lord where you have not loved as he has asked you to love, as he loved you. Ask the Lord to cleanse you. Father, in these moments, I know I need your grace. And I thank you that the body and the blood of Christ represents your forgiveness, but God, it also represents the great sacrifice you made for me and for every single person. So, Father, search our hearts. Cleanse us before we partake in your supper. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you had an opportunity to break the top off, you'll need uh, some serious dexterity. I'm going to ask you to take the wafer. Once you have it, I'll give you a few more moments to grab the wafer. And as you're doing that, this cracker, whatever you're using at home, this wafer represents the body of Christ. The Bible says very clearly that Jesus gave up his body. He said, this is my body for you, for you, the sacrifice of Christ. This is my body for you. And he, and he said this, he said, when you take this, right, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And so let's take it together. You'll uh, open the the juice or prepare your juice at home. Again, I know it's difficult. Hope you didn't wear white today. But I tell you what, even if you're wearing white, it's okay to be covered in the blood of Christ. You can just go, just tell people that when you see them later. I'm covered under the blood of Christ. And so again, the Bible says, as you're holding this juice here. It's a symbolic reminder of the blood of Christ. And this is what the Bible says. Jesus says this, this cup, this cup is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. We're going to move into a response time, and I'm going to ask that um, you can just leave those in the same place you found them or um, in the little cups there if you want to take it and throw it in the trash later. That would be great. Um, but let's bow for a word of prayer.
as we prepare for our response time, as we pray to ask God to help us respond. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, and folks at home getting into a posture of prayer, a heart of prayer, Father, Lord, we're asking for your grace to love like you have loved us. Father, if there is someone watching, someone listening, who does not know you, they don't know you through a personal relationship. They, they may know about you, just like all kinds of people know about you. God, may that person hear that you sent your son to die. Not just primarily to live or to teach us the right way or to be a good example, but you sent your son to die upon the cross for sinners. Not for the righteous. Not for loving people or pretty people or kind people, but you sent your son for sinners. Father, thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you that greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. I pray that every single person in the sound of my voice would know that at any moment they could come to you, they could cry out to you, and this is truly the most important vote they could ever have. Praise God that we can vote here in the United States of America, but God, our eternal vote is of greater, far greater impact. Because where we will spend eternity will have nothing to do with our political affiliation, have everything to do with did we know Jesus Christ? Did we surrender to him? And so if that's you, you know you need to surrender to Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to do that. You can do that by a simple prayer. You might want to say something in your heart like this. If you wanted to repeat this after me, you could. In the quietness of your heart, you might want to say something like this. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I admit that I've sinned against you. I sin against you. God, I'm sorry for my sins. God, I'm sorry for my sins. I ask that you would forgive me. I ask that you would forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I believe that you rose again on the third day. I believe you rose again on the third day. Jesus, help me to follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, help me to follow you all the days of my life. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you stepped across the line, I want to ask you to fill out a connection card. I want to ask you to grab us after the service or online in the connection card in the chat. You can let us know. Because again, that is the most significant vote you could ever make. It changes the trajectory of your life. It fills you with hope. It fills you with the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. It washes away all your sins. And as we just took the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper doesn't wash away anyone's sins. There's no power in the Lord's Supper. The power is in the true bread of life. The the power is in the true blood of Christ. And we take this as believers to remind ourselves of that power. So for those who have not yet believed, we call to you, saying, look to Jesus as the author and perfecter, the only perfect person you could ever put your trust in. Father, today, And this week, God, help us to put people ahead of our politics. God, help us to love others, to make our point, but to do it in a way that is genuine, that is loving, that is winsome. Help us to be learners, to to be listeners. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said?